Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. This morning, we're going to be uh, continuing a message that we started last week. I don't do that too often. Normally, if I don't get to finish a message, you have the outline, and I just kind of say, go home and figure it out. But uh, uh, today, we're going to go ahead and pick it up where we left off last week, because I thought it was that important. And uh, we're talking about children, and we're talking about the importance and the priority and and what they mean in our lives. And uh, um, I'm just going to share this passage, and then... uh, uh, it's where we were. We were in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Uh, Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, they'll be on the screen and on the outline in front of you. And it says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as thee. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And uh, just a really great passage. There's that word in the beginning of that passage that says, then. And you know, what that tells us is that Jesus was up to all sorts of things. He was doing the things that Jesus did. He was teaching. He was healing. He was going about declaring the kingdom coming and, and uh, helping people to understand who he was and that the Lord was there to save. He was busy. He was about real things, important things. Then. Then people started bringing these little rug rats, right? They was, ah, Jesus, ah. And the disciples go, don't you get it? He's busy. Get those kids away. There's no time for them. And Jesus, remember we said the word there that the disciples used was an actual punishment of the people. It was a reprimand to the people. Jesus doesn't have time for this. And then Jesus said, remember what he said? And then Jesus said, let The children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as thee. He used a righteous anger. It's a phrase rarely used of Jesus in the sense of how, how, how fierce of an anger this was. And it was one that was rarely used of him towards his disciples. And it was fierce to literally tell them, don't you ever, Keep a child from coming to me. Let me set the record straight, you who tried to discipline these parents. Children will always be able to make their way to me. I will always have an open door to children. And then he used a phrase and a language and and a wording that said this, not only let them come to me, but when it says do not hinder, it literally meant keep them coming. To keep them coming. Let them come in this moment, but let it be that they may keep coming over and over again. That that door will always be open. And we said this, and I'm going to go through these really fast. We said that children are never to be an inconvenience to us. Never should we view children, their circumstances, their trials, their problems, their difficulties, their, their behaviors, their, all of it. Never are we to view them as an inconvenience And I know we're just everyday people and sometimes we're tired and all of that. But Jesus said, let them come. 
we always make time and we make way and we're always available for children. First, it speaks to us as a church that they are never to be inconvenienced. There's always to be a pathway for children. Always to be a pathway for children. We're never to have them just tucked away in some corner or, or, or our youth is downstairs. That's not supposed to be where they are. It's just where they happen to be worshiping right now. They're to be in the midst of us and they're to have a pathway to everything that everybody else has a pathway. They're to be learning right alongside of us. We're to be a church that teaches nonstop and we never see our children or our youth as an inconvenience. They're never a hindrance to us. There's always pathways for them. And as families, as grandmas and grandpas and as aunts and uncles and as neighbors and coworkers and everything else, children, are supposed to be a blessing to us, never to be an inconvenience. Your coworker talks about their children, you stop and you listen, and you begin praying for them and figure out how you might speak into their lives. There's an opportunity to meet your coworker, your neighbor's children, you stop and you make time for them and you meet them and you figure out a way that you might bless them. Never to be an inconvenience. We also saw that, which I just said a minute ago, they are to come and to keep coming. It's supposed to be a constant open door. As a church, we've been put on notice to make sure that we're always teaching. We're always partnering with families. We're always making sure our resources are going towards children and towards youth and making sure there's a lot of pathways for families to learn and to grow in any way that they need to. And we're always supposed to make sure they keep coming. And then finally, we're supposed to let children know that they are a priority. When it says that Jesus, before he left, blessed them. Yep, before he left. That meant that what he did wasn't just rhetoric. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just a verbal lashing for his disciples. It was literally he stopped and he blessed those children. They were a priority in that moment. He didn't go forward. He didn't continue what he was doing. Not only were they not an inconvenience, but he displayed the priority they were by making sure that he blessed them right then and there. And that needs to be the case with us. Children need our time. They need our resources. They need our availability. They need our training. And we talked about last week, they need our facility as a church. Our facility, people should walk onto our campus and know that we're about children and children have a pathway. And you might be, be tempted to say in these last moments of recap and as we head into the lesson, man, could have done something else today, a good brunch I could have went to. I don't have any kids. My kids are already raised. I did all this. Mind you, just, just mind you, Jesus didn't have kids. That means there's not one of us that's exempt from making children a priority, that they're never to be an inconvenience, that we're supposed to make pathways for them to come unto the Lord. Not one of us is exempt from that. It needs to be a priority in our lives. Whether we have children or we don't, whether the Lord bless us with biological children or he's blessing us in other ways and other means, whether it's our grandkids or the ones we're pouring into, whether it's our neighbor kids, our coworker kids, whether it is the 60 or 70,000, I got some teachers in here. How many students are in Loudoun County School District right now? Something like that, right? 60, 70,000 kids. Crazy. Crazy. What is it? Becky, what do we have? 83,000 children in Loudoun County School District. How many schools do we drive by that needs to be a priority that we're praying? How many school buses do we drive by that needs to be a priority that we're praying? How often do we travel next to kids that needs to be a priority that we bless them in some way and somehow? How many of us are now responsible, every one of us, when Jesus said, let the children come unto me, never to be an inconvenience, 
always to keep that pathway open. And they are to be a priority. Okay. You guys were wondering if I was going to do the whole entire message. I know. I'm not. Come on up here. This is Brian and Gretchen. You've uh, had a good chance to meet Gretchen on different occasions. And uh, uh, Brian, you uh, probably haven't. Brian right now is going to have a few words for me after the service. Because uh, uh, Brian is a, is a backseat type guy. He likes to be in the background. And so we're thankful. But I've asked them to come up here because they just received word. Uh, Gretchen, you were on the mission trip with me in New York. And, but just like the day before we left or something, you got word that um, you've been accepted to be a foster parent, to be foster parents. And so they passed all the things, went through all the stuff. And so, absolutely. And uh, oh, we got a microphone here or something. Gretchen, you always got stuff to say. Say something. We are psyched. Oh, we got we need a mic here. Oh, we lost our mic person. That's okay. It's, well, you know, we're psyched. We don't have that many people here today. That's what we got. So, we are psyched. <laughs> See, when I throw an audible, uh, there's no one to catch it's it. Fine. Yeah, so there we go. But, uh, but what we want to do is this. And so, uh, literally, you could become parents tomorrow. Whew. How's that for a nine-month incubation? Right? Uh, it doesn't happen, right? So, you can become tomorrow. It could become this week. It could be any time they call you. And we just want to thank you for your faithfulness. We're excited for you. But you need to know we're here. This is your family. You tell us what you need, and you got it. Okay? Whatever that is, help, you name it, it's yours, all right? And so as a family, let's pray for them, and we're excited about what God's doing and how he will use them in some really amazing, special ways to walk alongside children who haven't, they haven't experienced that they're a priority, but they're about to. The ones that walk into this home will know that they're a priority to God first and then to Brian and Gretchen. And when they show up here, They'll know they're a priority to us. Okay? Let's pray for them. Father, thank you for this amazing couple. Thank you for the journey they've been on. Thank you for the way that you have prepared their hearts long before this moment. Thank you for, um, Father, all the different struggles that they've had in their life individually and as a couple. And thank you for all the incredible wins and, and joyful, exciting moments that they've had. Father, thank you for all that you've done to bring them to this point. Thank you for the way that you have prepared them as a family to receive the children they're about to receive. And so, Father, whether these children are for a short time or a long time, they wind up being adopted, or they're just blessed for a day or two. Whatever it would be that this home would become known throughout the area as the home that loves you first and loves children in such a way that more and more kids just have to keep going there. Father, whether it be the kids of the, that are friends of the ones that they bring in or you have a different plan for those and you'll bring other children to them. Whatever it is, give them the strength, give them the wisdom, give them the knowledge, give them the ability to ask at times for help. And Lord, that you would do something great in these kids' lives through Gretchen and Brian, that you would give them all that they need to be the most amazing parents that they can be. And we thank you for this tough job that they're stepping into, but we know that they're fully equipped and ready to go through you, Father. And may they utilize their family, this family right here, to help them and to move them any way they can. So, Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for our brother and sister. And uh, we look forward to uh, some new little ones running around here or, or young ones, whatever they are. Whatever they are, we're looking forward to that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, you too. Well, this didn't do me any good. I'll put it back here. All right. Thanks for letting us do that. Thanks for being a church that prays. Oh, my goodness. 
Right? That's what we're supposed to do. Be lifting people up, covering them in prayer. So now we're going to get to the rest of the message, right? Which is this week's message. And I want to talk about this thing that Jesus blessed the children. Right? He blessed them. He took the time. They were a priority. But so often as we pass these school buses, as we, as we go past the schools, as we're rushing around throughout our day, as we have our own little kids that we're getting ready and getting on their way, as we got our older kids or teenagers that their schedules are driving us crazy and we're going 100 miles an hour and as, we, as our coworkers are calling in and go, oh, my kid got sick and whatever it is, right? Ooh, the schedule is, is difficult and it's stressful and there's all sorts of things going on. We can actually forget to stop and bless children. We can forget at times that we are to be a blessing to them. We can forget at times, not only are we supposed to bring them before the Lord to pray for them, right? But we are all supposed to be actively involved in their lives in some very specific ways. I want to give you five words today that you can, hopefully, that will spur in you the ability to stop, make it a priority, and bless children. That any one of these words you can utilize and put into action and bless a child every time you see them. However, when you put all these words together, you have the most amazing picture of what it would mean to make a child our priority, never having them be in an inconvenience and making a pathway to them to come before the Lord. All right? So let's take a look at that. The very first one we want to look at, the very first word that I want to give you today is remember. Remember. Okay? In Psalm 139, 13 through 14, it says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Right? The very first thing we need to do is we need to remember that God created all the children. God created every single one of us. No one was an accident. No one just spawned up from a pool of whatever. Every single person was created by God. Every single child we interact with was purposely and specifically created by God. Created just the way they are with the looks, the talents, the personality, just the way they are. They were created. And it says they were created wonderfully and perfectly. There was no mistakes. There was no accidents. Every part of who they are is exactly the way that it should be. The very first thing we need to do is remember that they're not like just an extension of us. They're not just something that we have to get through for 18 or 20 years. They're not just this phase of life we're in. They're not any of those things. They are created by God. And he gave them to us for a very specific purpose. That'll be the next word. But the very first one you have to remember is to remember that they are God's. He created them. He will instruct us. He will show us how to care for them, how to teach them, how to do all the things we need to do for them. But it's time to stop looking at them as anything else. They are not my creation. My boys were not created by, my, by me. They're not mine. They're the Lord's that he gave to me for a very specific purpose. They're the Lord's creation, and it's my job to learn how he created them, the manner in which he created them, the personality that he gave them. It's my job to realize that they are these incredible sponges waiting to learn and to see and to know. Think about the beauty in which God created. He didn't create them with all the knowledge that they would ever need. He created them to, with the ability to receive and to take in all the knowledge that they would need. And we get to deliver that, which brings us to our second point.
to teach. If we remember that they're the Lord's and the Lord gave them to us for a reason and a purpose, then what's that purpose? To teach them, to help them to learn and to grow up. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and we'll rarely talk about children in our church without referring back to this passage. If you should happen to get tired of this passage, then I'm going to challenge you. Don't. Say it, repeat it, know it, let it hang off your lips with great importance and priority. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them upon your children. We are to teach our children to love God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Will they? We don't know. But we're going to teach them what that means. We're going to teach them what that looks like. And we're going to teach them all the commands of the Lord, not just some of the commands of the Lord. We're going to teach them all the commands of the Lord. We're going to teach them all that Jesus said. Why? Because that's why they were given to us. That's why they're with us. That's why he created them the way that he did, that they would learn. And who would teach them? We would teach them, both as parents, absolutely, individual parent family units, but then collectively as a church, that we would raise up children in the knowledge of the Lord, learning to love him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. It will ultimately be their choice whether they follow the Lord or not, but we will give them what they need. And he goes on to say, uh, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's supposed to be the, the priority of that part of the passage? If we had to pull just the, the main nugget out of it without getting into all the, the, the nuances of the different ways that they can be tied to our wrists or our foreheads or what that might have looked like back in biblical times or what is it? It's that teach them wherever you go, that every moment, every regular day, every regular occasion, we're to teach the word of God. We're to teach them to love God and to love others. We're to teach them all the commands of Jesus. We're to use the everyday moments of our lives to teach them. If we discipline them, we discipline them while teaching them why, according to the Lord, what took place was not the best for their life and it wasn't according to what the Lord would want from us and how to live. If we're going to discipline them, we're going to teach them that when we live like this or act this way or speak this way, we are not loving God in the manner in which he desires for us to love him. We are going to constantly be calling attention through our teaching, through the everyday moments about who God is and his great acts. Things are not coincidences. We're going to teach about the sovereignty of God. If I suddenly get, but I barely miss an accident, praise God. He's, he was really, uh, I don't know why he didn't want us in an accident today, but I'm grateful for that. When we are in an accident, Lord, what is it you want to teach us through this? And what do you want to show us through this? And how do we depend on the Lord? This is our only car. We can't even fix it. How do we depend on the Lord to fix our car? We're going to teach through the everyday circumstances how to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're going to teach all the commands that Jesus taught. When we remember that the Lord gave them to us for that purpose, we remember that he created them and had every intention that we would train them in righteousness. Now suddenly we understand the priority that they're supposed to have in our lives and that which was put upon us. And the spirit was given to us to help us to do that. But that is the call of each of our lives when it comes to children, not just mom and dad, but each of our lives. Jesus didn't have any children. No one is exempt. 
To bless a child means to remember that they are from God. To bless a child means to teach them the ways of the Lord. And then we are to model. The third word I want you to remember is model. We're to model, right? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1, it says this. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Two statements bookend that whole passage right there, right? Everything we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. My life is supposed to model Jesus Christ. My life is supposed to shine glory on God who taught me all that I know about living life, who taught me that which is good and that which is not. Even in my failures, I'm supposed to shine the light of glory back on the Father who gives me grace and allows me to seek forgiveness and offer forgiveness, right? I'm supposed to model that, but then it books end with Paul saying, and follow me as I follow Christ. We are literally to be an example of how to follow Christ. You won't do it perfectly. None of us will. But even in our failures, we're going to model how to follow Christ. When I have to go to my young daughter, Megan, which I don't have a young daughter, <laughs> but if I had one, I had to go to, to Megan or Susie and, oh, honey, dad really messed up there. I shouldn't have yelled the way I yelled. I shouldn't have treated that store clerk the way I treated that store clerk. I shouldn't have acted and responded this way. Honey, I'm sorry. That was not the best example for you because the Lord would choose for us to live this way or that way. We always bring it back to the teaching, but we're going to model even in our failures. Would you forgive me? And hang on for a second because I need to go ask that store clerk to forgive me as well. We're going to model our our, our failures and, and how it is that we repent and turn back to the way of Christ. But we're also going to model our successes and, and how it is that we walk with Christ. If we're going to teach it, we're going to live it. And it means that we're going to make some difficult decisions in our families. We're going to say no to certain things when our family really wants us to say yes. Or we're going to say yes to certain things when our family really wants to say no. We're going to have priorities for our families because it honors God when really uh, there's this big pull and push. Ah, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to do that. No, we do because this honors the Lord. I must model that which I'm teaching. I must model it. It means that we're not going to make some choices in our business life that maybe we would because we know that our kids are watching, that they're going to see. At some moment, they're going to say, wow, mom and dad, how can we suddenly have so much money? And you're going to have to explain how it is that you have so much money. And if by chance it wasn't righteous, you don't want to be caught having to model something that you would never want your son or your daughter to do or take part in. And so we're going to be careful about that. We're going to model that which is righteousness and that which is holy. We're going to make the sacrifice that's going to be required to be that model, to be that example. We're going to be that. The fourth word I want to teach us today is love. Love. We're going to remember that they're God's, that he gave them to us for us to teach. We're going to teach the whole of Scripture, which means we have to be in the Word of God in order to teach the Word of God. We have to be growing in our walk in order to teach it, but that's what they've been given to us to teach how to love him. Then we're going to model that teaching in our successes and our failures. We're going to model it. And then we're going to love them. And you might go, seriously? You could have just left that one out. You just put that in there because you needed five points. Of course we're going to love them. No, really. We're going to love them. We're not going to say we love them. We're not going to have an affection of love towards them. We're not going to say they're our everything. We are going to love them. 
In Jesus Christ, the word of God gave us a definition and a prescription for love. It says in John 13, 34 through 35, it says, a new command I give you. Notice it's not a suggestion. It says a new command. Thus saith the Lord, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. How is it that we are to love our children? How is it that we are to love the children that are around us? How is it we're supposed to love the children that are in schools? How is it supposed to love the children that run through the halls of this Church, how do we love our neighbors' children, our co workers' children? How is it that we love families that are loving children as Christ has loved us? We are to love the exact same form, fashion. We are to love that way, a sacrificial love that gives up itself and its own selfish yearnings for the better, for the best of the children that we're loving, of the people we're loving for sure, but of the children. We are going to love them specifically the way that Jesus did. We're going to weep with them and laugh with them. We're going to hurt with them. We're going to rejoice with them. We're going to sacrifice for them. We're going to protect them. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Some of those words we can think of our seven-year-old and go, well, of course we're going to hurt with them and protect them and play with them. Of a 23-year-old that called with a struggle this week, and as much as I wanted to tell that young man to grow up and get about it, it was a moment to hurt with him. And so I did. And then I prayed and said, when can I tell him to grow up and get about it? And I did that too. Because I still needed to teach and instruct and to declare all that the Lord had taught. You see, we always have children in our life. And I'm so thankful when some of you walk alongside of me because you have a lot more years. And you parent me at times. And you give me wise counsel and wise instruction. We always have somebody in our life that we can teach and we can model and we can love really, really well. If we're still a little bit unsure, what does that actually look like? It means that we don't provoke or exasperate them. It means that we are going to be unselfish. We're going to serve them. We're going to provide for their needs. We're going to give them gifts. We're going to show them affection. And we will absolutely discipline them. We're going to love them. You said, yeah, but what is that? What's the tangible part of that? The Lord wasn't finished. So he gave us 1 Corinthians 13. That wasn't meant for just marriages or to be a happy poem on Valentine's Day or anything else. It was meant to instruct us on how we are to love. It was actually give us definitions and goals and objectives to love one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered no matter how tired we are. It keeps no record of wrongs. We let forgiveness be final. And we do not keep records of their wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If we go back to that modeling part, not only do we need to do that towards children, other relationships around us need to model that type of love as well. So that they can see what that looks like, not just towards them, but in the other relationships they're going to have in their life. You see, because when we fail to love like that, we also fail to secure those relationships, to protect those relationships. 
When we fail to love like that, the way that God taught us to love and being patient and kind and always persevering and never failing in our love, those relationships begin to break down and the children in our life is disastrous for them. They expect the relationships that are around them that have been provided for them to be solid and strong and good. They expect and need that they are supported and girded and upheld by love, this type of love. And when we don't exemplify that type of love and we don't love in the relationships around us, it begins to cause insecurity and uneasiness. It begins to have a breakdown in their family, causes a distrust, and they don't know how to learn to love. And they'll simply love the way they see demonstrated. We have to secure their lives. We have to teach them how to love because we model love that the Lord gave us. And finally, the last word is pray. Pray. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's literally close to us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yes, we are to pray for our kids. Yes, we are to pray for children around us. Absolutely. But we are to pray with them. Not just for them, but with them. We are to model this prayer. We are to model bringing our anxieties and our, and our uncertainties. We are to model bringing our decisions before the Lord. We are to model that so that they know the power and the might and the wisdom that comes from God. That when, as we receive those answers, we're receiving them together as a family. As we receive those answers, they're seeing that the Lord speaks and is faithful to those who call upon his name. That they are witnessing firsthand by being involved in that act of prayer. We not only need to bless them by praying for them and over them, but by involving them in our prayer. And prayer needs to be a constant, habitual, active thing in our home. Not simply when they go to bed and not simply at dinner. We pray over circumstances. We pray and rejoice over great things. We pray as we're going down the street. We were, saw a couple different accidents, accidents on, our, on our drive back from New York. And we prayed. I wanted to teach them, those students in my van, to call upon the Lord for his help for others, not just for themselves. Wherever we can model, wherever we can teach in our everyday comings and goings, we need to do it and we need to model prayer. At times, don't just say, I'll pray for somebody when you have your family around you and it might be inconvenient as it was for Jesus. Stop and pray right then and there with your kids by your side. Pray for them. Demonstrate what that might look like. And you're like, oh, I don't pray out loud. Start. How will your kids ever learn how? You're like, oh, that's good. I don't have kids. They need to hear you pray out loud. All the children around us need to learn that. And learn how to come before the Father because we're willing to bring requests and petitions before the Father. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Always praying. Remember that God created them. He designed them. And he gave them to us for the second word, teach. Teach them to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Teach them according to how God made them all the commands of Jesus Christ. All of his words teach the model and your successes and your failures. 
and love in a biblical way. Always love them biblically, every child you run across. And then finally pray. Pray for them, present them before the Lord, and pray with them. I want to end today by uh, reading a story. And uh, they took my stool. Hang on a second. I figured it would be a little bit like class time. You know, we're talking about kids. You got to have story time. And all my teachers always sat when they told a story. So I'm going to do the same thing. Thought we'd just have a little fun. So I don't do it often. But I'm just going to lower my head here for a few moments. I'm going to read a story to you. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a mom who in one of the most difficult moments of her life blessed her children and her family. I think you're going to see all five of these words lived out. The mother's name was Deanna. The girls had just gone outside to play and I had a few moments to get some of the details of my mind sorted out. I had missed my husband very much during the past three weeks as he was on a trip to New Zealand, but soon we would be on our way to meet him. My plans were interrupted by a loud screeching of tires. I waited to hear the collision, but there wasn't any sound of impact, so I figured someone on the boulevard near our home had been very lucky. Within seconds, my 10-year-old came running into the house and shouted upstairs, Tanya's been hit by a car. My body reacted immediately with terror and fright as I raced down the stairs. I could tell as I ran past Sonia that her little heart was in knots. Mary, my neighbor, met me on the porch and said, hurry. Oh my God, was all I could say. I felt every second was an eternity as I sped towards the people who were there even ahead of me. Fear gripped my soul as I imagined what my child was feeling. Surely it couldn't have happened. I knelt over Tanya as an off-duty fireman from across the street covered her with a blanket. She was unconscious and the neighbor told me that she couldn't feel any pain, that being out was the best thing for her. I didn't see any blood or broken bones. If only she would wake up and tell me where it hurt. I didn't dare move Tanya for fear of hurting something and I was told an ambulance was already on the way. All I had to do was wait. I picked up her tennis shoe that had been knocked off her feet and I looked at her face and I talked to her, but she couldn't hear me. Then suddenly she breathed a very heavy sigh and her head turned to the side. I began to cry and I asked the fireman, is she okay? And, and he said that she is still breathing. Deep inside, I told myself she couldn't be badly hurt. She looks all right. If only she'd wake up and tell me how she is. Finally, the ambulance arrived. It had it had only been about five or six minutes, but it was the longest of my life. If only my husband were here with me instead of halfway around the world. We raced to the hospital as we backed into the emergency entrance. The staff was waiting for us at the door. I felt relief suddenly come over me to finally be here. Now everything would be okay. Tanya was in good hands and they would surely be able to tell me what was ahead and what injuries she had sustained. They took her into a treatment room, closed the door, and all I could do was wait. I sat on a bench and I prayed. I sobbed inside and out as I asked God to take my dear little seven, to take care of my dear little seven-year-old. I felt confident he was there with me, so I wasn't alone for even a moment. After about an hour, a young nurse came over to me and took hold of my hands. I wasn't ready for what she was going to tell me. Tanya's condition is very serious. She has brain damage. 
She isn't breathing on her own. You mean she might die? Yes, she certainly might. I was completely numb with the possibility that Tanya's life might be taken from me. I was mighty thankful that God could work miracles because I was going to ask for a big one. It would be hours before my husband would get here. My parents arrived and they were already crying and I hadn't even told them the grisly news yet. The words came pouring out, Tanya may die. Soon the doctor came in right after I said that. He introduced himself as a neurosurgeon and he told us that Tanya had sustained a, sustained a blow to her brain stem. Her brain had been shaken like a bowl of jelly and it had been damaged, but they didn't know how much. But she didn't have much chance of a full recovery. He gave her about a 5% chance of surviving. With nothing else left or for us to do, in that moment, we all dropped to our knees in this little waiting room and we prayed through tears and grief that God would heal Tanya. We asked God to glorify his name by restoring her to her normal, vivacious self. That night was long and hard as the doctor's reports grew steadily worse, and I prayed even more. Finally, about 24 hours after the accident, they gave us another hopeless diagnosis. He said Tanya would remain indefinitely on those machines, but would probably never improve. She hadn't regained consciousness and showed no signs of improvement. Her, ba her brain had been changed, damaged too badly. I felt my skin grow cold as he completed his report and walked away. I couldn't wait much longer for that miracle. I decided to go in and stay with Tanya until Silas returned, no matter how long it was. I began sobbing uncontrollably, and I begged God aloud for God to return my little girl to me. I kept choking on the tears as I prayed, and I recited the Lord's Prayer. I, pulled out, I poured out all the tension, fear, emotions building up for more than a day. I kept on crying out to God for that miracle, and hour after hour and hour after hour, I prayed. And finally, I came to the place where I was ready to accept God's will no matter what it was. I asked God to take Tanya even, I asked God to take Tanya if he wanted to, but I still wanted her back, and I told him so. In that moment, someone came in and asked us to return to the waiting area as the doctor had one more report to give us. He spoke in much the same language as the neuro neurosurgeon, and he said Tanya's brain was gone. He spoke in such final terms as if the battle were over, and I interrupted him. Where is Tanya right now? Is she in intensive care, or is she with the Lord? He repeated his statement about her brain, and I asked again, where is Tanya? Is she with the Lord? I had to know if God had made the decision already. And finally, he said, her body is being kept working, but Tanya isn't there anymore. She is with the Lord. And I had remembered what I had just said to the Lord, Thy will, not mine. Friends later told me that I was radiant when I then replied, I shall not forsake my God. I would do as King David did in the Old Testament. When his child was taken, he washed his face, changed his clothes, and went about his business satisfied that God knew best. I returned to the room to say goodbye to Tanya and that I would see her again. There would be no more begging to God to bring her back. It was then I realized she had actually been taken home to heaven the day before in the street when I saw her heave that sigh and turn her head to the side. That was when 
she went to be with Jesus. As I stood there with an inner strength that was foreign to me, I remember how Tanya had prayed during the last few months. Lord, I want to go be with you while I'm young. When I asked her why she prayed like that, she smiled and said, because I want to sit on Jesus' lap when I get there. And I don't want to be too big to do it. A new assurance and peace surged through my sorrowful soul. And I was refreshed with a joy that we are in good hands. And God hasn't forsaken us, not even for an instant. I wanted you to hear that story. Because you had to remember that Tanya was the Lord's all along. And that mom had to remember her job was to teach and she had a 10-year-old and the rest of the family watching and waiting and she had to live out and teach the truth of Scripture to even her 10-year-old who watched. And she modeled so faithfully what it meant to follow Jesus in the worst and most difficult circumstance of her life. She modeled the truth of what she believed. And she loved in one incredible way, the way that Jesus did, when he said, Lord, not my will, but yours. And she prayed. She prayed when that's all she had to do or could do. She prayed when it was what she wanted to do. And she prayed when it was the best thing to do. She prayed. Five words. Remember, teach, model. Love, pray. Nobody is exempt from raising up a child in the ways of the Lord. Let us all bless children every moment and every time we see them. Father, thank you. Thank you that you gave us such great gifts. Thank you as a church you call us to be such lovers of children and such givers of your grace. Thank you for the families that are in this room those with biological kids, those without, those who are grandparents and those who are aunts and uncles, those who are co-workers, that you have given us so many opportunities to bless children, and you have showed us well how to do that. Father, we thank you for the many examples that came before us and the many more that will come after us. Thank you for allowing us to be your people, and you've given us this great mission. Thank you, Father. We love you, and now help us walk faithfully. In your name we pray, amen.